Grab your Bibles if you would. Welcome, everybody. How's the shade over there? You guys good? Genius. It's like 20 degrees hotter on this black stage, so no complaining. We actually have an umbrella right here for the laptop computer. I could probably sell it for 50 bucks right now. Anyone? Like, where's my umbrella? Oh, I have one. This is perfect. This is great. Grab your Bibles if you need one. Ushers are kind of working the field. And uh, Friday, big game, home game, Horizon Prep versus The Rock. We call it the Holy Bowl. Be a great time of uh, fellowship and um, just great seeing these kids coming out and giving it their all. Tonight, uh, this becomes a sanctuary of praise, just a night of of outdoor worship. It's free. People can't get over this. Like, you're not charging for this? I mean, do you know how much a ticket goes to get into a Brandon Lake concert if you can even get one? And we're like, no charge. Come, bring your friends. They're like, well, there's usually unions involved in concerts. No unions. Hallelujah. No unions and no tickets. And uh, we just hope you'll join us tonight. We'll fill up this field. Be a great witness of public declaration on this holiday weekend uh, that our God, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, deserves all the praise. And San Diego needs to know that. Amen, church? Amen, indeed. Well, glad you're here. Turn to Genesis and then turn to Revelation, the first book and the last book. We're going to wrap up this overview of the Bible and then just sort of wrap up the summer tonight with this amazing night of worship. I'm going to share tonight on a subject that actually changes how we approach worship. And uh, just be sharing that for a few moments while Brandon leads us in a wonderful evening of worship. So bring your chairs back or just leave them right there. You have the perfect spot for tonight. Uh, bring a blanket, blanket, bring a dinner, just kind of picnic out with us and uh, enjoy this wonderful, wonderful opportunity. I heard the story of a pastor who was paying a visit to an elderly member of his church. And uh, as he was meeting with him, he sat down with uh, the old church member, John. No offense to anyone named John. I'm making that up. He sat down and said, John, you're reaching the age where you should begin seriously thinking about the hereafter. And old man John turned to the pastor and said, well, I think about that every day. I think about it when I go in the kitchen. I think about it when I go in the bedroom. I think about it when I go down in the basement. I think about it when I go outside. Everywhere I go, I ask myself, what am I here after? All right, now if that isn't funny, it's because it's too familiar. Like you find yourself asking the same question. But here in Genesis, turn to chapter 28. It's like God interrupts Jacob's life with a dream of the hereafter. And I'm telling you, from here on after in Jacob's life, it changes everything. It's as if the hereafter becomes front and center. And I hope Jacob's dream would help bring the hereafter front and center for us. Because Jacob's dream in Genesis 28 becomes John's vision in Revelation 21. 
And my prayer today, church, for you, for us together, is Jacob's dream and John's vision would become our soon reality, a place that is being prepared for us where all things are new. Grab your outline. I just have a few points to wrap this series up with you and just believe, God, that this series that we've so enjoyed this summer has greatly deepened our appreciation for the miracle of the Bible, the power of God's Word. Hasn't it been a great summer series? Can you praise God with me for it? Amen. It's been so good. And it just gets better because this particular scene, this 8G segment in history is the best of all of them. The best is yet to come. And Jacob certainly gets a glimpse of it here in chapter 28. Look at verse 10. Now Jacob, verse 10, went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran. Everyone say Haran. Haran first shows up in Genesis chapter 12. So grab your outline with me. Fill this in. Life has patterns. Life's patterns. And here, I'm very interested in the fact that Jacob leaves what's become comfortable and 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 familiar to him down in Beersheba, and he circles back. He heads back to where it all began. And I'm wondering for us, in our life's patterns, where we're headed, what are we pointing towards? What do we have our sails set to ultimately experience and accomplish? Are the patterns of your life pointing you to an outcome and determination that is the fulfillment of your faith? I mean, every day, every week, every month, every year for that matter, whether we want to accept it or not, we're going in circles. And every year is a circle around the sun. And I guess the question then would be this. Am I circling upwards in some patterns of living that are drawing me closer to my true home in heaven? Or are the circles of my life causing me to spiral away from that destination, downward. And here I think Jacob gives to us a very important principle where our life patterns are concerned. Are the patterns of my life pointing me towards heaven? And maybe for some, you know, we're like in middle school or high school, we're here in the youth group, or we've headed back to college, or we're just getting going on our career. And a lot of these things we might want to just sort of like push to the back of our mind and, and deal with at a, at a later date, like old man John that the pastor comes to visit. But rather because of this dream that is given to Jacob, these things should become front and center to give us a closer, eternal perspective of the patterns of our life. 
He heads back to where his grandpa starts. Haran was the first place that Abraham stopped for a rest on his journey of faith. It's where his grandfather is buried. Interesting that he circles back, and maybe this summer through this series of the Bible has caused for us to circle back and make the scriptures more a pattern of our daily living. Not only that, but as he circles back, this dream takes place. Look at verse 11. He came to a certain place, and he stayed there all night because the sun had set, and he took one of the stones, one of the stones of that place, and he put it at his head, there's his pillow, and he laid down in that place to sleep, and he dreamed. And behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. Here's his dream that ultimately John has a vision of in the book of Revelation. Ultimately, this, this access for us here on earth that ultimately could allow for us to ascend in a circle and pattern of life, ultimately to heaven itself. He sees this ladder that is set up. He sees these angels of God that are ascending, going up, and descending, coming down. And behold, the Lord stood above it all and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, and the land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. And also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, and will spread abroad to the west and the east and the north and the south, and in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For behold, I am with you, and I'll keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Second point on the outline, fill this in, a loving promise. Life's patterns, where are they leading you? The patterns of your life, right here, right now, where are those patterns of life leading you? And I pray that they're leading you towards the loving promises of God. What does he say to Jacob? I'm with you. And that's his promise to us. And The title that God gives himself in the dream to which Jacob receives is that title of God known as the great I am. When Moses meets with the Lord at the burning bush and he's given his assignment to go stand before Pharaoh, Moses is like, it might be helpful if I could tell Pharaoh who sent me, can I give him your name? And God says, just tell him my name is I am that I am. He's everything that you need. The ultimate loving promises of God. I am the Lord God of Abraham. I am with you. The great I am. But through it all, we have a God of loving promises that ultimately Jesus would pick up on, right? And seven times Jesus would use this same statement or title. He would say, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he declared to the disciples at the evening of the Last Supper, the night upon in which he was betrayed. He said, guys, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. No one gets heaven without Jesus. No one gets God without Jesus. Jesus declared, I'm the way, 
I'm the road. I'm the street. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And then he said, seventhly, he said, I am the true vine. I'm the vine. I'm the true vine. You're the branch. Abide in me, for apart from me you can do nothing. These are the promises of God, the promises of God, the loving promises of God that need to now become our life's pattern. And then thirdly, what's he say? He says, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, and I'm going to fulfill all of my promises to you, all the promises that I've given to you, and I give to your descendants. That's us. The same family, the same heritage, the the same faith, and the same loving promise. The loving promise of his lasting presence. Fill that in. Fill that in. Journey along with me in this dream. Let it become a reality that the patterns of our life, the circles of our life, every day, every week, every month, every year, we should be circling in a pattern that is leading us closer and closer to ultimately our destination in heaven with the Lord forever. The fulfillment of his loving promise and the greatest of all is his lasting presence. He says, I'm going to fulfill all of these things that I have spoken to you. I will not leave you until I have done what I've spoken to you. Verse 16, look what happens. Then Jacob awakes from his sleep, wakes up from the dream, and he says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. What a bummer, what a drag to have the lasting presence of God in your life and not know it. To take it all for granted. To miss it, the advantage of knowing that if God is for you, who could be against you? He says, God has been in this place, and I did not know it. Verse 17, and he was afraid, and he said, how awesome is this place. This is none other. Look what he says. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. I think it's a wake-up call for all of us, not just Jacob, a wake-up call in the sense that he almost missed it. He almost missed out on the lasting presence and loving promises of God because his life patterns had got him off course. He was a conniver, Jacob was, right? You know anything about this guy? He was a cheater. He's fallen out of fellowship not only with his brother, he's fallen out of fellowship with his dad. That's why God has to sort of skip the generation and say, I'm the God of your father, Abraham. Actually, parentheses, that's your grandfather. You're not getting along that well with your dad right now. And then he throws in also the God of Isaac, who happens to actually be Jacob's dad. He almost missed it. The lasting presence of God. I pray that you would not miss that. Ponder it with me. What a thought that God was here with me all along and I didn't clue into it. I didn't know it. I took it all for granted. I love that verse in Psalm 34 that says, the angel encamps around those who fear the Lord. And it's not a small a angel. It's not like a junior intern angel like we saw last weekend together, right, who has the key to the bottomless pit. You think that would be a job where at least the angel would get named? No, it's sort of like angel with training wheels, You're the key monitor, and it isn't a small A angel here. It's the angel, capital A. It is the Lord Jesus Christ, the angel of God, who encamps with lasting presence around those who fear the Lord, who have a life pattern to honor God 
in all that they're living for. I love the message translation. And for Psalm 34, the message translation says, there's a circle of protection. Isn't that great? That should be a life pattern for us, a circle of protection around those who fear the Lord. I mean, you might look out at what's happening in the world right now, whether it's here domestically on our own soil, in our own state, in our own country, or globally around the world and think that everything's falling apart, when in actuality it's all falling into place because our God is on the throne. Amen, church? I love the passion translation that Louis Giglio put together in this particular verse. Again, amazes me in Psalm 34, the passage here in the Passion Translation says that the angel of Yahweh stoops down to listen to us when we pray. How beautiful is that picture? The angel of Yahweh stoops down to listen as we pray and encircles me and empowers me in showing me how to escape life's difficulties and he will do this for all who fear the Lord. Do you realize where the lasting presence of God's loving promise is concerned? Do you realize you've never been alone? There has never been a single time in your life where you can say you've been alone. Mom, you're never alone. Dad, you're never alone. Kids, you're never alone. The psalmist writes and says, even if I downwardly spiral into the pit of the abyss, into Sheol itself, you are there. Nothing too hard for God. His arm is not too short that he can't reach down and save us even when we feel as if we're at the bottom of the barrel looking down in the pit of hell. You are there. Or even if I'm spiraling upward in my patterns of living, you are at the top. You're at the bottom. You're at the top. I've never been without your presence. Jesus promises I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And yet our sins sometimes cause for us to think we have been separated from God. But let me ask you, how many sins had you committed when Jesus died for you on the cross? Answer, none. Zippo. And yet he still stepped in and paid the price knowing all of the sins and shortcomings and, and mistakes and failures we would make. Gives to us the loving promise of his lasting presence. See, I believe that ultimately is the blessing that's waiting for us in heaven is to be in the lasting presence of the Lord. And it's just not enough for us to limit the relationship in terms of just coming to God and saying, forgive me of my sins, I don't want to go to hell, and not begin to also pray in a pattern of living where we're excited for what's to come. Because the everlasting life is the lasting presence of the loving promise of God. It's the fulfillment of John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, you believing this morning, say amen. Those believing would not perish, but would have, come on, everlasting life. Sometimes we'll open up the Bible and think that it starts with the bad news because we'll just skip ahead to the sin. 
And we'll be shaking our head and, and wondering to ourselves, how did that woman Eve give in to listening to that snake? I don't think my wife would have listened to any snake. I don't think if Bond's in that situation, the snake wins. I'm just saying. But the Bible doesn't start bad. It actually starts good. It actually starts with all of the blessings that God had for his people, for his creation, that everything he made, he looked out and said, it's good. He said, it's good again. He said, it's good again. He said, it's good again. Then he said, it's very good. It all starts with blessings. And then, yeah, ultimately, sadly, sin enters into the equation. And so the Lord had to set into place a liberating price. Fill that in in your outline. Some life's patterns that would circle us upward, closer and closer to heaven with every breath we breathe and every step that we take to experience the loving promises and lasting presence of a God who has now stepped in to solve our problem of sin with a liberating price that he paid on the cross. When Jesus came down, he took our place and experienced the separation of being apart from his Father, being apart from all of the glory he deserved. And he declares from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you separated from me? Why have you forgotten about me on purpose? You know why? So that God would never abandon you. The liberating price of what Jesus Christ has come to accomplish for us is exactly the dream that Jacob dreams that becomes the vision that John sees that I pray for you and I would become the reality that we live for. So turn to Revelation. Revelation chapter 21 literally picks up where the dream of Jacob ends off. John picks up where Jacob left off in Revelation chapter 21, the vision that John sees is of this new heaven, of this new Jerusalem, of this new earth. Look at verse 1. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Now, some are bummed. They're like, no more sea. I really like the sea. The sea in that context was separation was mystery, was distance, was death, was despair. And that's what now has been removed. No more separation. A new heaven, a new earth. No separation that John in verse 2 saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem of God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. You say, Bob, wait a minute. The bride throughout the New Testament, the bride is always describing the church. But now the church is home. The church is in heaven. The church has not been seen or mentioned in the book of Revelation since chapter 3. It's disappeared. It's raptured. It's met Jesus in the air. It's been celebrating in heaven the marriage supper of the Lamb. That in other words, the church, the bride of Christ, has become one with heaven. And heaven is now referred to as the bride. That there is this new creation. In fact, fill it in with me. Heaven's creation is God's masterpiece. Heaven's creation is everything made new. It doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are. I mean, I've got grandkids now, and if grandma happens to be at Target and buys them a new toy, they go absolutely nuts for the new toy. That's all they want. 
And you can be old and, 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 and enjoying sort of like adult life or, or your career's going or grandparenting that I'm really enjoying. Like, why did we wait so long for this? This is the best. And you get like a new pair of shoes or a new shirt or a new pair of pants or you get a new car or you get a new house. Hey, in heaven, it's God's masterpiece of a heavenly creation where he makes everything new. It says here that heaven is prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven, look at verse 3, saying, Behold, not much in heaven goes on quietly. Just letting you know, spoiler alert. There's a lot of exciting, crescendo, climax, loud things happening. Here's a, not a quiet voice, a loud voice in verse 3 saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Now, just stop there for a second because the tabernacle, again, like that sea that has been removed, that tabernacle also in their perspective was actually also a place of separation. That as they would gather together, there would be different courts for different people. There would be a court for the women. There would be a court for the men, there would be a court for the Gentiles, and there would be this inner court, and within the inner court, there was this holy of holies that no one could go into except the priest, and the priest could only go in once a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and now he says, no more separation, no more siloing off the the, the people, every, everyone's ultimately together enjoying heaven's creation, that the tabernacle of God is with men, with women, with all of us equal together, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there'll be no more death no more sorrow, no more crying. There'll be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Can you praise God this morning? What a thrill to know what's ahead. And then he who sat on the throne, he says it again. Look at verse 5. Behold, I make all things new. He said to me, write, for these words are true and faithful And he said, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. What are you going to inherit? All things you're going to inherit. Relax. God's got this. You're going to inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. She will be my daughter. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, now we're busted, we're all in the group now, shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's what we deserve. But heaven is now created. 
Not as a figment of John's imagination. Not just as a dream that Jacob dreams that never comes true, but as a literal place. And it's not an automatic default. It's an actual city for those that have prepared themselves to go. Here's what everyone in heaven have in common. They're forgiven and they prepared to be there. The pattern of their life has shifted and changed that is pointing them in a trajectory that sends them ultimately on the narrow path that leads to everlasting life to enjoy the loving promises and lasting presence of God in accepting the liberating price of what he did for you and I on the cross. We become then a part of heaven's new creation. The Bible says when someone becomes a Christian, they become a new creation. God's new masterpiece. The Bible says we are his workmanship. Poema in the Greek, we are his work of art. And we are forever and ever and ever. That in heaven we experience not only a new creation, but heaven's duration. Point number six on your outline. Heaven's duration means it lasts forever. You are forgiven forever to enjoy the presence of the Lord, not visiting for a holiday weekend, but for all eternity in the place where God reigns, where Jesus is, where all is made well. Nothing rusts out. No need for new paint. We had a marriage retreat up at the Marriott in Newport a number of years ago. It wasn't really all that long ago, but as I've gone back to that hotel since we did the marriage retreat, I think they have redone the whole hotel like four times. Like they're just doing their best to try and keep up with the Joneses in Newport Beach. Do you realize in heaven there's going to be no need to keep up with anything, never any need to repair the carpet or to get out a dust mop or to vacuum? Everything will stand forever perfectly new. And when you wake up the next day, it's all new again. I don't think we'll ever get to a point of knowing everything. We'll learn something new every day and experience more and more of the goodness and glory of God for all of heaven's duration. Can you praise him with me for how great that's going to be? Great for everyone who enters in the gate. Because the ones now that are on the list right there for us, spoken of in verse 8, are on the outside of the gate. Remember that blind guy in the book of Acts who continues to beg at the gate but never has the faith to venture through the gate? Don't be on the outside this morning. Don't be still arm's length away from all that God has for you and experiencing a life pattern that lives for his glory even now and for all eternity. Because the duration of heaven means we are with him and forgiven in his presence forever. And then John is given a little tour, a little glimpse of what's to come. And he's, he's, he's shown around and I'll, I'll, I'll save it for you to, to read the rest of chapter 21 of just how great this city is and the gates that are on the east and on the west and on the north and on the south. And in verse 14, the foundations of the city, 12 of, of these 
of these foundations with the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And, 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 and John says he talked with me and he had a gold reed to measure the city and, and its gates and its walls. And the city is laid out as a square in verse 16. Its length is, is as great as its breadth. And he, he measured the city with a reed. It's 12,000 furlongs. It's like the diameter just a little larger of the diameter of the moon so if it's a full moon you just sort of like look up and say wow that's the dimensions of heaven it's a city that's 1500 square miles like probably more of a cube than a sphere with the diameter just a bit larger than the moon with walls that are 216 feet tall that are all made of jasper not so much walls of protection because God's on the throne and he's taking care of all that, but, but more for design and for beauty to reflect the glory of God, a city that's made of gold, we're told in Scripture. Verse 18 says, The construction of the wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city are adorned with all kinds of precious stones, the first foundation, jasper, and the second, sapphire, goes on and on and on. Twelve stories of foundations of the most precious jewels. Verse 21 is a clutch verse, sort of the mic drop verse of the passage. In verse 21, it says these twelve gates are twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. The pearly gates, right? You've heard of that? We've probably also heard of this, but this will blow your mind because the Bible tells us at the end of verse 21 that there's one street. The street of the city was pure gold. I don't know. I'm thinking back to when I was in camp or at VBS or in Sunday school. I thought it was streets, the streets of heaven. And then I was always concerned about which street I would be on or which neighborhood I would end up in or I'd probably be as it were, in the slums of heaven, and hopefully I'd be allowed to come visit Bonnie because she's living next door to Mary. But I'm like way off somewhere. And then I realize there's not multiple streets. Let this blow your mind. There's one. There's one street. We're all living on the same street. It's not Jenny from the block. It's Jesus from the block of the street that we all live on together to the glory of his name. You're going home to spend eternity in Jesus' house, church. That's the exploration that John is given of heaven. In fact, that street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And there's no temple in this city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. We go to worship Him and to worship Him alone. And nothing can take His place. And nothing any longer needs to represent him, nor are we living by faith, for it's all become sight. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. There's no need for the moon or for the sun, for the glory of God illuminates the city. The Lamb is its light, and its gates shall not be shut at all by day, and there will be no night for they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, and there shall by no means enter into it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So our last point on the outline has to be this, and it perfectly sets us up to celebrate communion, that there needs to be some type of an examination of our heart. 
heaven's examination of whether or not, in fact, this is where the patterns of our life are leading us into the loving promises and lasting presence of the Lord Jesus Christ who has paid this liberating price when he took our place on the cross. It's only those whose names have been entered into the Lamb's book of life that will walk down that street that will move in and spend eternity with the Lord forever in his holy place and home called heaven. It's actual. It's a country. It's a homeland. It's a marriage of being in the presence of the Lord forever. And Jesus is the means, the only means by which heaven becomes possible, an eternal reality for all of us. You know, it's amazing. In the book of Revelation, where the where the church actually shows up is really early in the book. No mention of the church past chapter 3 until you get to chapter 19 when we return with Jesus at his second coming and reign and rule with him here on earth for a thousand years, known as the millennium. We looked at together last weekend. But chapter 3 ends with a door that's closed. And chapter 4 begins with a door that's opened. And the difference between the door that's closed in chapter 3 and the door that's opened in chapter 4 all comes back and down to the examination of the human heart. Because the door that's closed in Revelation 3 is the door of our heart. And it's Jesus on the outside that is knocking. In a verse that declares in chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone opens the door and invites me to come in, I will move in and take over. With the promises of the glory of all that awaits, for the best is yet to come. And so as you take this bread and this cup, I pray that you would do so reverently and with the fact attached to it that this is the only means by which the door of heaven is open to us, that in Jacob's dream he said, the Lord is here. This is the gate of heaven. Right here, it could be settled, it could be known, and some of you, when you think about heaven, you're only hoping and wishing that it would come true. But the Bible declares to us you can know the same author, John, that was inspired by the Holy Spirit with this vision of heaven known as the book of Revelation, wrote some other books. And John declared to us in 1 John chapter 5, he said, God has given to us eternal life. And instead of leaving that up to our own interpretation as to what eternal life might be or what it might mean or what it might look like, John goes on and he writes and he says, and this is eternal life, his Son, Jesus Christ. And he who has the Son has eternal life. And he who does not have the Son does not have eternal life. Could it be any more clear? 
for us to examine our heart. Are we ready for heaven? For John writes and says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You know what? That's why this morning I can declare to you I'm not a Lutheran. My wife was Lutheran, grew up in the Lutheran church. She's no longer a Lutheran. You know why? Because we're not here to follow Luther. As great as a guy as he was, I'm not here to follow a guy. It's why I'm not Wesleyan. Because Wesley was a great guy, but I'm not here to follow Wesley, and it's why I'm not Baptist. Because as great as John the Baptist was, and he was, I'll speak a little bit about him tonight, we're not here to follow John the Baptist. And it's why I'm not a Catholic today, because I'm not here to follow some church or some leader of the church called a pope that wears a funny hat. And it's why I'm not a Muslim, because I'm not here to follow Muhammad. And it's why I'm not a Buddhist, North County, because I'm not here to follow Buddha. And it's why I'm not New Age, because I'm not here to trust and follow myself. I'm here to follow and trust Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. He's the only way into heaven. And that needs to become the examination of all of our hearts. And so, Lord, I pray as the men of our church serve us from the communion table of the Lord, we would simply ask you to forgive us of our sins and all of our selfish ways, the mistakes and failures that we make on a daily basis. And we praise you and thank you that your mercy triumphs over the judgment that we deserve. You are a merciful, compassionate God whose grace is sufficient. And Jesus, I pray that we all would put our faith and our trust in who you are and what you've come to accomplish, that we take this bread and this cup and we would sing it with all of our hearts and our lives, giving you full praise and honor and glory and hallelujah for the access that you have now provided for us to spend eternity in your lasting presence and loving promise in your homeland and city of Jerusalem that now becomes the street upon which we all reside in your presence. Lord, may not a single one of us leave here still putting all of this to the side, but it now would truly become the pattern of our daily living. And that truly with each breath that we breathe and each step that we take as families, it would be a step closer to you and closer ultimately to heaven. Bless the concert tonight. Lord, I just pray you'd fill the San Diego Valley with the worship and praise that you truly deserve. And as we put the summer behind us and head into the fall, even this evening's night of worship would give to us a new pattern of living, a cadence that we would be in sync and in step with your Holy Spirit, both now and forevermore, 
We pray that you'd bless this meal that we obediently receive with great thankfulness for all that you've accomplished for us. By faith, we receive it in its fullness and ask that you would write our names in the book of life and prepare our hearts for all that awaits for us with you in heaven for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, come on, church, let's praise the Lord for his word to us this morning. And as the men come to distribute these elements of communion, let's join Stas and Lydia as they lead us in this incredible song. Do you feel like standing? Let's stand together and worship our King.